following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. All right, good morning, family. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. It's great to see you today. I do have a confession to make. You know, there's a lot of allergies floating around out there. You guys relate to the stuff blowing around in the winds, all kinds of stuff going on. So uh, if there's anything anointed today, it's from the Lord. If there's anything off today, I'm going to blame the Sudafed. Is that okay? I might be over the legal limit of Sudafed. I'm not really sure. I'm just trying to not sneeze up here, but uh, it's good stuff. I'm really glad to see you this morning. Um, You know, one thing that seems to be... uh, true of all of us at some point in time is uh, we have lost, lost our keys or got locked out. Has anybody ever been locked out, locked out of your car, your house, right? I know it's the worst thing ever. It's like, you know, you take these keys for granted, you throw them around, you drop them, you do whatever, throw them on the counter. But when you need to get in a door and you don't have this, it's really bad news. It's really, really difficult. And so this little key has, gives us access to realms that we really want to be in. And if we don't have this little key, we have locked doors that hold us back and and prevent us from being where we need to be. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently about this, and he shared with me a story that happened to him just a couple of weeks ago. He's a good friend of mine, but um, I'm going to, for the sake, you know how they change the names to protect the guilty? Um, I'm going to call him Dave, okay? So my friend Dave was telling me that he went down to his car and he just got back and he had groceries and he, he grabbed some groceries and he, he went upstairs and then all of a sudden he went back down and realized he locked his keys in the car with all the groceries out in the sun. And he's thinking, oh no, I don't have a spare key. So he tried everything in his power to try to jam things in there and you know, try to get that thing open and, and to no avail at all. He was locked out. He did not have his key. So he does what most people do is you pick up the phone and you call AAA and the AAA guy comes out. Now he has a hard time too. This guy's jamming stuff on there and pushing and pulling. He can't get in the car either. So my friend and the AAA guy are hanging over each other's shoulders, prying on the door, the top, they're bending the thing off. They're doing everything they can to get into this car and finally, finally pop, the door opens. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He gets in the car and he grabs some stuff And he goes upstairs, and he tells his wife, wow, that was a real hassle. Here's all the groceries. And she says, do you have the keys? Oh, no. They're locked in the car again. (laughs) Needless to say, the AAA guy comes back, and they fight it again, and he gets the keys out. See, when you don't have a key, this little key is so simple, but it gives us access to realms that we need, getting in our house or getting in our car. And when you don't have the key, You can't get through the door, and we've all run into that. And uh, Jesus wants to tell us something today about doors in our lives, specifically doors that are closed and we can't get through, and doors that are open because they're open for one reason. He has the key. Jesus holds the key. Jesus holds the key to all kinds of doors for me and you. And it seems like when we try to force them ourselves or push through doors, it doesn't work really well. Maybe you've tried before. I know I have. You think that's the way to go and you're trying to force something open and it's not opening for you. And then sometimes God closes a door and you're like, why is that door closed? I thought it was supposed to be open. And God's saying, yeah, it's actually a different season. I'm going to close doors and I'm going to open doors. And we're going to look at that today as we're going through the book of Revelation. Jesus is talking to the churches in Revelation And there's seven churches in the book of Revelation that he's talking to. And to each one of these churches, he has something to say uh, about who they are and what they're doing. And he's got some great praise saying, you guys are awesome, you're doing great things. And then he's got some correction. This church right here, he doesn't have any correction for them. It's amazing. Out of the seven, this church is doing so, so well. And he talks to them about because you are doing, you're being the real deal, because you're really following me, I have keys, Jesus says, and I'm going to open some doors for you. And I'm going to open doors that nobody else can open. And I just want us to hold on to this this morning because you have doors in your life that you want open. And you're maybe praying about certain doors. And you or I are not going to get the door open. There's certain doors we simply are not going to open on our own. It is not by strength or by might. It's by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. God Almighty can open doors that you and I can't open. And he also closes doors because there's a season for everything under the sun. 
And sometimes we don't like those seasons. We want doors to stay open. And God's like, look, I'm closing this. I'm opening that. So we're going to talk about that because it applies to your life. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, Revelation 3, 7, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, we're going to start there or on your device, your phone, or there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. And uh, as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're looking at the seven churches. And today we're at the church of Philadelphia. Uh, the name Philadelphia means brotherly love, city of brotherly love. And uh, what's interesting about this, I don't know, do we have a map of the seven churches at all? Uh, yeah, right there. Okay, so Philadelphia, there's a mountain range kind of blocking number seven. So number six is right there, and it has a wide open pathway to everything that way. So the church of Philadelphia is positioned to be a, a doorway. The city is a doorway. The city is a doorway to a whole other continent of Asia. And the way to get from Asia into Asia Minor and into Europe is through this city. So this city is placed in a really strategic point. Uh, back in the earlier empires, the Greek empire positioned this city there because they wanted to spread Greek influence all over the world. And they knew everyone had to come through the mountain passes, through this way, and would go through the city. So they put it there as a gateway, as a door, if you will, uh, for, um, for influence of the Greek culture. And it was very strategic because if this door is open, you have access to the whole continent. And if this door were closed, there would be no access to the whole continent. The only problem is this town was sending out the wrong message. Because when people would come in from the entire Asian continent, they would come to this town that had tons, tons of temples to the Greek gods. It was called Little Athens. There were literally temples everywhere. Every, you remember, remember the story of, of Paul when he goes to Athens and there's, uh, there's gods everywhere. And Paul's like, wow, I walked around. You guys have temples all over the city. And, and, he, and he says, well, you have one to the unknown God. So let me tell you about that one. He's trying to use their language and build a bridge into their world. But this, this city here, there is no temple to God per se. There's a synagogue, but these temples, these Greek temples are scattered everywhere and they're sending uh, the wrong message. And you'd have to admit, if you were the church in that town, that would be a tough place to be the church. It would be a tough place to be the church surrounded by 50 million idols all over the place. Uh, so let's just jump in and, and we're gonna see some really key points on how the church of Philadelphia applies to us in a lot more ways than you, you could imagine. Um, so it's Revelation 3. Today we're just going to read through the whole passage and then we're going to unpack it. So Revelation 3, starting in verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world. If you have your Bible, you might want to underline that. That is a pretty profound statement right there. Uh, this hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying or what the Spirit says to the churches. This starts out as Jesus appears to each of the churches uh, the, the, the picture is that he addresses the angel or the messenger, which is oftentimes the pastoral staff or the leadership of the church, and says, here's what's going on with your church. You take this message of the condition of your church, and you bring this back to your people because this is the condition of your church. And Jesus starts out saying, I got the keys. I want to start out letting you know I am the one who holds the keys. You think your city is a doorway, a pathway. 
I hold all access to all doors that really matter. Do you believe that this morning? God holds access to all the doors that really matter. That's important. God has access. Jesus has the keys. Um, most doors are locked. When we try to get through certain doors, if you're trying to go up a corporate ladder or pursue a dream or do things, there's not 50 million open doors, but you pursue doors and you pray and you ask God for access to certain areas of whether it's influence or uh, whatever your dream is or the things you're pursuing for your family or your friends or for your life, uh, for your faith, for your, uh, for your mission, for your ministry. Uh, but Jesus is like, listen, I have the keys to the doors. Know that I'm holding them all in my hand. He's got the master key ring set. And he's saying this because he has all authority. Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. The Bible's really clear. Everything ever made, past, present, future, was made by him and for him. And he has keys, full access. So next time you're in a jam and you need to get in a door in life, you can either call AAA or you can call Jesus. Who are you gonna call? Who are you gonna call? Call Jesus. I'm not talking about your keys locked out of your car. You know, it's okay to call AAA, but when you're running up against the wall in your life and you're trying to get through, call Jesus who has access to all things. He says in this passage, um, it says that he's the, he's the one who opens doors that no one can shut. No one can shut a door that God opens. No one can open a door that God shut. I mean, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And that's the thing about God's doors. We're talking about God's doors. It says in Matthew 7, 7, this term is used a lot in the New Testament. It, it says that ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be opened for you. And the context in the Greek is keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. And so if you sense God put something on your heart, something you're supposed to be pursuing, something that's good for you, your family, your future, something that you think God is behind, you continue to pray. You don't stop praying. A lot of people have, uh, you know, shared with me, well, I've already prayed about that and God closed the door. And then they move on. And the Bible doesn't really put it that way. I've prayed about it, God closed the door. A lot of these are keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking and the right door will be open for you. So there has to be an ongoing effort on our part to keep seeking God and to keep asking. Uh, And the other thing about uh, doors, I would just say this right now, a closed door in your life is not necessarily a closed door in your life. Uh, Let me explain that. A closed door, a lot of people pray and a door is closed, so they kind of, they're done with that. I already prayed, the door is closed, I'm moving on to plan B. How many of you know from experience that God makes everything beautiful in its time, in its time. So the direction and the will of God is one thing, and you may have a really clear understanding of what God's calling you to and where he's calling you, and yet there's a door closed. And the mistake we make sometimes is we understand sometimes his call and his will and his, his direction. Sometimes we get that, but we don't understand the timing of God. I haven't met a person yet that has the timing of God down. Certainly not me either. And so when you ask, seek, and knock, and a door is closed, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's permanently closed. It's closed sometimes for now because God makes everything beautiful in its time. And in the fullness of time, God opens doors. And that's something that's important to know. But he also also closes doors. Uh, Paul talks about God's opened this great door of opportunity for us. It's great. But he also writes um, in Acts 16 that God... um, God closed doors on us. He said, look, we, we were trying to get into Asia and we thought we were supposed to do ministry out there. We were pretty convinced of it. And clearly God closed the door. And after we realized God closed the door, we had this dream of somebody calling out in the night saying, come over and help us in this whole other area. And they're like, wow, God, I get it. You closed this door, but you're opening that door. And it, it ended up going on to an amazing, uh, amazing time, amazing opportunity of, of uh, mission. Uh, a great verse on this, we're going to put it on the screen for you, it's Proverbs 8.34. You might want to write this down. Uh, this is one of those verses, when I read this verse, I'm like, wait, what version of the Bible is that in? Have you ever read a, a, a verse like that? It's written so clear or so something, you're like, yeah, I don't remember reading that one before, and what version did that come out of? Well, this did the same for me when I read this, because I've read Proverbs many times, and, and this this verse never really jumped out at me, but uh, Proverbs 8.34 Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my door and waiting on my doorway. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my door and waiting at my doorway. The Lord is saying 
that if you and I are the kinds of sons and daughters of God that will literally wait on him, wait on the Lord, that we will watch and we will listen at his doorway where he opens opportunities, where he opens provisions, um, th- this is the way we're, we're, we're blessed for waiting at the doorways of God. Sometimes in life, we're not looking at the doorways of God, we're looking at our own doorways. But he's saying, if you sit at my doorway, if you sit and listen and watch at my doorway, you are, you are blessed for it. That's, that's important. He says in verse seven, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And he's telling this church, who is really a doorway to the entire next continent. In fact, they have found out through history that this particular city had one of the best highways in the entire world at that time. And the reason they did is it connected all of this part of Asia Minor and Upper Europe to Asia. And so they realized, hey, listen, if we're going to influence a city, if we're going to have anything, we need to give them access. And there's this massive freeway that they found historically that went through there. And uh, there's an open door with this city. Um, What he's telling these guys is, guys, I have an open, things might not be going the way you think they are right now in your city. They might not be going the way you think they should be in your life, maybe in your workplace or in your family. Maybe you're expecting something and, and God's maybe not meeting our expectations. And And I think the sooner we realize that we want to meet God's expectations before him meeting our expectations. You know, he's the Lord, right? We're not the Lord. If we were the Lord, we want God to meet our expectations, but he's the Lord, so we need to meet his expectations. And in this passage right here, he's telling this church, I'm going to open a door that no one's going to shut. Um, He's telling these guys, hey guys, revival is just one step away. I'm about to open a door. And he actually says that he places the door before them. You might think you've got to go walking all over the place, knocking on all these doors, but God is talking about his doors. He's like, because you've been faithful, I'm placing a door in front of you. I'm placing a door before you. And that's the sovereignty of God and his orchestration, how he can work on so many things simultaneously at one time. And if you're faithful to the Lord, he is going to bless you and he's going to place a door before you. And that's what he's telling these guys. Instead of their city being used to share Greek culture as a doorway, they're going to share the love of Jesus and God's kingdom in a whole new way. Revival is one step away because they've been faithful. He says in verse eight, I see your deeds. I placed the door before you. How many of you guys know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? You got to know this. He is a rewarder. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that applies to you this morning. If you seek God in your life and you know what that means when you get up and you want to have a God-honoring day and you want to put God first, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this church is finding that out. In fact, their reward, in fact, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these three things down real quick. Here's how God rewards. The first thing, God rewards with open doors. God rewards with open doors. That's our first point this morning. God opens doors that no man can shut. He shuts doors no man can open. This church was faithful. And Jesus is saying, because you're faithful, boom, I'm putting an open door right in front of you. So God rewarded them with an open door. Um, I've seen times in my life too where God has done the same thing, where God has rewarded me with an open door. And sometimes you don't feel like you deserve any kind of reward. You don't even know why you got the reward, but God's like, I see you. God sees you. God sees everything you're going through. God sees every up and every down, every stress, every anxiety, every worry. He sees your faith. He sees your love. He sees your heart. He sees right through us. And he is a rewarder. And you need to know that he's a rewarder. He loves you and he has your best in mind. God has your best in mind and is a rewarder. And one of the ways he rewards is with open doors so that we can go, wow, how did that door open? Only God could have opened that door. And God gets the glory for the open door. But he is a rewarder. And the first point is God rewards with open doors. The second point is this, guys. God's doors require discernment. Because if a door opens in your life, you might go, oh, look, this must be from God. Not every open door in your life is from God. How many of you know that the devil is the king of counterfeit? He would love to open a door for you that is not from God. And you'll go, hey, look, looks like a cool opportunity to me. I'm I'm going for it. You got to pray and discern, check your word, check with some godly friends, check in with the Holy Spirit. 
is this door from you, God? Is this a God door or not a God door? That's really important because God does reward with open doors, but you better make sure the open door in front of you is from God and not a counterfeit. Um, there, that can happen all kinds of different ways. That can happen all different kinds of ways. It can happen with a, with a mate in your life. Somebody can come your way and you're like, oh, maybe this is an open door from God. And they're not a believer. And the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. And you're like, yeah, but they're really good looking and we laugh a lot. So, hey, maybe this is from God. I'm happy. She makes me happy. I make her happy. It's clearly an open door from God. And God's like, yeah, that's not my open door. <laughs> you know, there could be a lot of things, a job opportunity, but they're asking you to do this and you're going, well, you make a lot of money. It sounds like a cool thing. You know, I finally get to make a lot of money and and you might find out, yeah, what they're asking me to do doesn't sound like a God open door. So you got to discern. God rewards with open doors. Number two, God's doors require discernment because there are counterfeits. The third point is this, guys. Walking through doors still requires faith. Still requires faith. Faith pleases God. God opens doors and yet you still got to go, here goes. You're stepping out into unknown things. There's no guarantee. There's no proof. It's straight up faith. God opens the door. God's calling you out. God is leading you, but you don't have the guarantee or the proof or the absolute. You don't know the facts in advance. And that's where faith comes in. And God is a rewarder of faith. All through the Bible, God rewards faith. He rewards faith again and again and again. And even though he opens a door, it's still going to take faith to walk through it. So we walk by faith, right? We don't walk by proof. Do we walk by proof, church? No, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. And so even though God opens the doors and you discern whether it's from God or not, you still walk through doors by faith. And that's really important. Um, He tells his church something pretty insightful. He says, uh, he goes, I've been watching you and I realize what you've been going through and I realize you have little strength. You guys have little strength. Um, That's not a condescending statement. That's a reality. That's a true snapshot. That's a freeze frame of the condition of the church of Philadelphia. They have little strength. And I want to just talk to you just a minute about a little strength. Uh, Maybe you feel like you have little strength today or you're in a season of little strength or you've come out of a season of little strength. Little strength is not a bad thing. Little strength is a good thing sometimes. And when you look at the Bible, little strength or seasons of having little strength happens to all of us, happens to all of us. After Elijah did some of the most powerful things, he had so much lack of strength that God came to him three times and said, eat, drink, and go back to sleep again. Think about it. Is that the answer for this guy who's doing the miraculous? Doesn't he just get a prayer and an anointing, hit the ground running again? No. Stop, eat, drink, sleep. Three times, three times, three times. And guess what? Then he's right back in the race again, running for the glory of God with God's strength under his wings again. But the point is, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, that wasn't a time of profound. This is a time like, oh, Lord, please, if you can take this cup from me, oh, I'm about to... I can see what I'm about to go through. There's got to be a different way. Is there any other way, God? This isn't a time of profound strength. And the Lord says, no, there is. And he's like, okay, not, not my will, but yours be done. But out of a time of, of weakness, and, and, and the Bible's got a lot to say um, with that. So don't, don't think that if you're in a time of weakness in your life, that there's something wrong with you. A lot of people would think, I'm feeling weak. What's wrong with me? I don't mean physically, you're just feeling a little. If you're feeling in your soul that you're a little, you, you don't have the full capacity that you should, you know, there's a lot of people in the Bible that that was the prerequisite for God to use them. Do you realize that? Being weak was the prerequisite for God to use them. God didn't use a bunch of big, strong people. He used people that were weak that said, I need your strength, God. And he'd say, bravo, you're exactly who I'm looking for. Gideon is a great uh, case at uh, point where Gideon's like, I'm going to use you to take out this army. He's like, look, I'm the littlest dude in the littlest family in the littlest tribe. There's no way you're going to use me. And God's like, that's exactly why I'm going to use you. So God's been doing this forever, using our, our weakness. Uh, it's really important to know that. Paul says, I will boast in my weakness because Paul realized that God's power is made perfect in weakness. This is important. When I am weak, he is strong. Amen. Weakness isn't a bad thing. Sometimes weakness is the condition God needs to use for him to do something great. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so God can increase. 
In other words, I'm not gonna be like, I got this. John the Baptist is like, no, I actually don't have this and I don't have the power to pull this off. God's like, yep, exactly. Now there's room for me to enter in and do something great through you, through weakness. This is really important. The other thing to know about this, guys, when you're struggling about maybe your strength in your life uh, and, and your t- in times of weakness, come to terms with this. We don't work for God. We work with God. We don't work for God. We work with God. And that's important because there's so many times in life we're trying to do something for God. We're really trying to get something done for God. And, and that's A for effort. That's in a good category. But Jesus says, I'll be with you always. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, which means you're yoked with Jesus while you're walking this stuff out. But sometimes we're flying solo trying to do something for God. And, and you know, that's not the way it works. And in, in the Bible, we work with him. We work in his strength. We learn how to stay in step with the spirit and walk in the strength of God. And this, this church was, was weak. And God's like, because you're weak, I see you. And I'm gonna come alongside you and open a door. And there's gonna be some great things happening here. So that's really cool. He says this in verse eight and nine. He says, uh, knowing that they're under deep persecution. He's like, you guys have kept my word and my name. The word of God and the name of Jesus. You know, when you're in a society that uh, doesn't want to hear the word of God or the name of Jesus, or there's opposition against anybody speaking that out, the Lord is watching us saying, what are you going to do? When you're living in a land where people don't want to hear the word of God or have you represent the name of Jesus, what are you going to do? And, and this church is like, well, we're not backing down. We're taking our stand. We know whose we are. And God's like, I see you doing that in a time of persecution. And he says, that is amazing. He says that, listen, he, he says that there's a, the synagogue of Satan he's referring to in this passage. The believers typically in a city would migrate to a, to a synagogue. Paul would first go to the synagogue. Every city he went, he'd go to the synagogue. Why? Because they're Jewish people and the Christian faith is built on the foundation of the Jewish faith and the missing ingredient is Messiah. Did the Messiah come or not come? Jesus Messiah. He's the, he's the bridge builder into the old covenant and the new covenant and it's Jesus. And so Paul would go to these synagogues and he would share to them that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. Many would get it and follow and others would reject it, but some would get hostile. They would get hostile and they would try to chase down Christians and Paul did this in his earlier days. And so there's a lot of hostility. In this particular town, there's apparently that John is writing to, there's apparently the believers in the church of Philadelphia who tried to migrate or share or to grow or to reach out to the synagogue that is in Philadelphia and were met with total hostility. And guess what? The door is closed. If you've been shut out of what you think is your opportunity to minister, if the doors have been shut on you, if they've kicked you out and they wanna persecute you and don't want you back, that would be a group of people who would feel like, wow, there must be a shut door. We've been shut out. And this is what God says. Don't worry about that synagogue. I'm opening a whole new door to you guys. You don't need to worry about that synagogue of Satan. Um, I'm gonna open a a new door to you. It's been said that promotion doesn't come from the north, south, or east, or west. It comes from God. Heaven is our headquarters. Our promotion comes from God. It doesn't come from the local synagogue, this person, that person, this opportunity. Our, our, our promotion comes from God. Open doors come from God. Heaven is our headquarters. And he's telling these guys, look, I'm watching you and I see what you're doing. And then he goes on and he's, he's saying, by the way, the people who shut you out, that synagogue, he's like, I'm gonna have them come before you when they're standing in my presence and I'm gonna have them com- completely acknowledge that you were right. Maybe going through life, you've tried sharing faith with people. Maybe you were shut down. Maybe you had a door closed on you. Maybe you were the victim of some kind of hostility or persecution in your life. And, uh, and Jesus said, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you. But there is a day coming where every knee is gonna bow and tongue confesses Jesus is Lord. Because when he comes back, everyone's gonna recognize, oh no, I was wrong. And others are gonna go, oh yes, I was right. <laughs> when he comes back. But the bottom line is everyone is gonna bow. Because when you come into the presence of God Almighty, you're just gonna fall to your knees. You're not even gonna be able to stand in the presence of the Almighty One. No one's gonna stand and argue or debate in the presence of the Most High God. They're just gonna fall to their knees and go, oh my goodness, I'm like melting wax in your presence, God. And he says, in that case, those people who persecuted you, the synagogue of Satan, they're gonna acknowledge you in my presence. 
they're gonna say, wow, you guys were right. And I just think it's cool. It's God's little shot of redemption right there. Here's the fourth point this morning. In a culture of opposition, highly esteem God's word in Jesus' name. That's what they did. In a culture of opposition, highly esteem God's word in the name of Jesus. And we're living in a time where there's a cultural shift in our world where the word of God in the name of Jesus isn't popular. In the 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah, that would be kind of a normal part of culture. But we're living in a, in a world that's been described as a post-Christian nation. And, and uh, just because of the mindset of so many people around us and the systems and the ways things are going, you need to know that in this kind of culture, in a culture of opposition, you gotta esteem God's word and, and hold to his name and not shrink back. That's what they did. And because they did, because they did, God rewards them with open doors. And this other reward, I want to shift gears because this, this reward coming up next here in verse 10 um, is actually pretty profound and it's a complete game changer in our lives as Christians and theologically in the Bible. Theologically in the Bible, there's a shift that happens here based on a statement that gives us some pretty profound insight. And I want to, I want to spend time on this because it's really important. Uh, verse 10, it says, since you have kept my commands and endured patiently, this is what it says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is about to come on the whole earth, the whole planet, and it's gonna test everybody. Does anybody know what that's talking about? The great tribulation. The Bible tells us again and again that this is tribulation, this time is gonna come. And the question for everybody is, but when and who goes through it? So most believers read scripture and go, yeah, yeah, there's clearly this crazy time coming, clearly like the seven-year period that uh, is gonna be incredibly intense. But are believers even around for that? Are we out of here? Are we here? What's going on? And there's, there's some debate in Christianity about that. And there's some, there's some views out there. Um, Jesus is telling this church, since you have kept my commands and you have endured patiently, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep you from this hour, this season that's going to come on the whole earth, this hour of trial that's going to come. This is the great tribulation. And this whole book of Revelation, within, we're going to, like in two more chapters from now, it's going to switch gears into talking about the rollout of this tribulation. And it talks about the way it goes down and how it goes down and the order of it that it goes down. And it's going to test everyone and it seems to me, my read of this scripture is those that are faithful in Christ will be raptured, taken up. He's telling them, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. And others are going to go through it. But what we're going to see by God's amazing grace is that even through this time of tribulation, there are seasons where God's like, oh, these ones have now become faithful. Great. Welcome. And as things get worse, there's another group that becomes faithful. And God is constantly harvesting souls of people that are willing to turn to him because it's a testing that comes on the whole earth and others just get harder and harder and harder rejecting God through this time. We'll, we'll deal with that as we go through the book and get there. But this tribulation, is in the, it's in the Gospels, it's in Thessalonians, it's in the book of Daniel. There's other places as well. But the main thing is it's very clearly described. And the big question is, where will we be? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, where will you be? Will you be here to endure this whole crazy seven-year thing? That's going to be the worst test the earth has ever seen. Uh, you can't compare it to anything. It's going to be off the chart with stuff going on, cataclysmic events and all kinds of stuff. Or will we only be here for part of it? Or will, be re will we be removed before it happens? I would say from verse 10, verse 10, a strong view would be, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the earth if you honor my name and honor my word, if you're devoted to Jesus. And I say that because there's a lot of people that would say out of all the world religions, yeah, I pick Christianity. And I would say, well, that, that's not the same as this. If you honor my word and you honor my name, if you are in Christ, if you are truly in Christ, like this church is, he's saying, I am going to um, remove you from this hour. You're going to be kept from it. Ironically, pretty soon in this chronological order of revelation, the next scene coming up soon is a snapshot of heaven. 
And it's very interesting that he deals with these seven churches and the one that's living right, they're going to be, I'm going to take you away from it. And the next scene in Revelation is heaven, which is interesting. And after that, there's really no more conversation directly with the churches. So it seems to be chronologically looking at the book of Revelation and it appears to be written chronologically, even though there's metaphors in there, it seems to be that the faithful will be taken out. But wait, there's more. There's other views too. There's other views too. And people have reason for their other views. I just want to unpack this really quick because uh, here's what's interesting. When you read the book of Revelation, which is talking about the things to come and the order of events, what's interesting about it, it leaves out the statement, this is the time, this is the time in the year that Jesus comes and takes all his people out. It doesn't identify the year with any kind of clarity. But yet we're reading in this passage, this church, if you're faithful, you will be taken out. And we would love to know, well, tell me exactly when, God. I want to know exactly when. And the reason why we want to know exactly when is kind of we usually want to live our lives the way we want, but we don't want to miss out on this. And Jesus is like, that's the exact reason I'm not telling you exactly when. And there are so many parables where he's like, no, you can understand by some seasons. You're going to see some seasonal things going on and you're going to go, oh yeah, this is pointing in a direction. But no one knows the day or the hour. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour. You're not supposed to know the day or the hour. The whole point is to be ready and to be prayerful and to be watchful. Um, and this is what it says in Matthew 24. I want to read this real quick and I'm going to move through this part really quickly. Um, Matthew 24, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. We have it for the screen up here. Jesus talks about this time of tribulation and this rapture of the church, this taking up of believers. Jesus talks about this early on with the apostles. Matthew 24 says this in verse 36, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two, men will be two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day, what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would, have let his house be, would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So we would love to know exactly when. But Jesus says nobody knows and no one's going to know. And most people, this says, it says most people are going to be surprised. They're going to be like, what? Now? Seriously? I was in the middle of, uh, you know, my vacation. I had plans for next week. I, you know, I thought I was going to, you know, they're, they're going to be shocked. They're going to be surprised. Everyone's going to be going about their business, doing their own thing, like in the days of Noah, and they're going to be stunned, going, are you kidding me? Like, literally right now? Yep, it's on right now. And that's the way it's going to happen. And it says, faithful believers are going to be taken up. Everybody say taken up. That's the term scripture used, taken up, taken up. The woman over here working with her coworker, phew, taken up. The guy over here on the job doing this, pulling cable, laying pipe, whatever he's doing, drilling stuff, phew, taken up. And you're like, what is going on? And Jesus is like, no one's going to know. They're not going to be ready. They're not going to be fully expecting because no one knows the day or the hour. And this is the way it's going to go on. So the fifth point this morning, and this is our last point, is to, to be right. To be right with God. Be right. Be ready. Be prayerful be watchful. Be right, be ready, be prayerful, be watchful. That's how you get in on this. What if we're wrong on the timing? Is it possible? Yeah, there's great minds on different sides of the equation on what the order of events is on this thing, exactly how it comes down. But make no mistake, believers will be taken up. And then the world's going to enter a period that the world's never seen before. And it's going to want to be a period that we are taken out beforehand. That's what we're going to hope. That's what we're going to desire. But I read it as only the real devout and faithful. And I think some might be a little stunned because in theory, they believe in God. And yet they might be, as the movie came out, left behind. 
uh, there's going to be a lot of people, it seems, left behind because their faith wasn't legit and genuine. It says in the Bible that you believe in God, that's great. Even the demons believe that. So that's a good start, but that ain't going to, just believing in God, you know, I believe in gravity and I believe in God. Does that mean I get raptured? No. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you faithful to him? He will be faithful to you. Are you his? Do you belong to him? That's what lordship means. I check in with him. I serve him. I'm his. I'm not my own. That's lordship. If you're in that category, you're in this category. And there's going to be some that are going to go, oh, wow, I thought maybe just if I said that magic prayer that they told me to say back at that camp, I'm good. And and this is what this is about. But be right, be ready, be watchful, and uh, be prayerful. The last thing I want to read to you really quick is 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Um, this talks about literally this taken up once again. Paul's explaining this to a church many years after Jesus explained it. He's explaining to them to give them a little more clarity and detail on what this looks like. This rapture is this taking up that Jesus talked about, this being caught up with him, being taken up with him um, as the world is about to embark on a whole nother season of profound uh, duress for seven years. It says this, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Everybody say caught up. Caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever and therefore encourage one another with these words. This is saying when Jesus comes back for his people, the faithful will be caught up with him. The, the Greek term uh, comes from a Latin rapturus, where we get our word rapture from. That's what the caught up is. Where is rapture in the Bible? It's right there in that word caught up. The same thing Jesus said will be taken away, right? Taken up, snatched away, caught up. That's the term in the Bible. And it seems to come before the extreme duress. And so I want to say that because in all fairness, there are different views. There are different views. And one view, uh, and some of you know this very well, some of you never heard it before, so let me just break this down. If you are a follower of Christ, when will you be taken up? Will you be taken up before this whole thing gets really crazy difficult, uh, this amazing duress on the planet? Will you get taken up before it? It's pre-tribulation, that's the view. Will you get taken in the middle, which is mid-tribulation, right in the middle of this crazy seven-year period? The Bible does talk about in the middle of the seven years, it's going to switch and get way worse than the first half, okay? So there's a reason to think that. And the other one is post-tribulation. Are we going to be around for this whole crazy thing? And then that's the time uh, we get taken up. And there's one other view I want to just mention is after the middle the Bible talks clearly in the middle of this time, ooh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn for the worst. But right after that, in Revelation 16, it talks very clearly that at that point, that is when, and, and I want to use this word because this word matters, that is the point in this time of difficulty on the planet where God actually opens bowls of wrath. Everybody say wrath. Wrath matters. Why does wrath matter? Because God's children are not subject to his wrath. Do you know that? You need to know that. God's children are not subject to God's wrath. So we're not uh, released from all difficult times. Jesus said you will always have tribulation. You'll always have tough times. There have been seasons of Christians thrown to the lions back in the day. And if we're thinking, well, I'm a believer, why do I got to get thrown to the lions? It's like Paul's like, hey, get over it. I've been beaten and persecuted and stoned and shipwrecked and left for dead. Hey, it might just be part of the faith. We're not... We're not um, you know, exempt from difficult times. So when we talk about tribulation being difficult times, none of us are exempt from difficult times. But no matter what view you might have, although I believe the church is taken up before the tribulation, and that's my uh, honest read of scripture and all the commentary and study, and I've written papers on this and camped out on this subject for a long time, I respect there are different views from scholars as well, from from other people who are scholars. But I would say, No matter what, Revelation 16 talks about the wrath of God being poured out. You and I are not subject to wrath. Do you remember when God said to Sodom and Gomorrah, he said to Abraham, what if there's some faithful people in that town? Will you still destroy it? No. What if there's 100? I won't do it if there's 100. What if there's 50 in that town, even though everybody else is messed up and they hate you and they, you know, curse you and and all that stuff? What if there's 50? Will you still do it? No, not 50. 
Well, what if there's 20? God's like, I still won't destroy it if there's 20 in that city. Well, what if there's 10 in that city? I still won't destroy it if there's 10. Well, what if there's like five faithful? I still won't do it if there's five. And the same thing with this earth. God's not going to pour out his wrath on his children. In fact, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says we are not appointed to wrath. Scripture says we are not appointed to wrath. Difficult times, yes. Wrath of God, no way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christ follower, we're not under any judgment condemnation of God, period. We're exempt through that, from that through the blood of Jesus. That's important to know. But difficult times, yeah, we're, we're all prone to difficult times. But the Bible describes this as a different kind of difficult. And clearly in the middle of the seven years, it's going to take a shift and it's going to start going downhill from there. And I would just tell you that I think the fair view of Scripture is the church, the faithful, those who are in Christ, not just say that ones who say they believe in God. If you are in Christ and only you know if he's the Lord of your life, I mean the Lord of your life. If he is the Lord of your life, you are his. You are not your own. And you, I believe, were taken out before this. I believe through this time, it's going to be a wake-up call. I know if I didn't get raptured, God would have my full attention. Like straight up, like, oh, wow. I knew this was coming, a day when you're going to rapture. And if I got left out, I'd be like, all right, God, it's on. You got my full attention loud and clear. I'm not missing anything from here on out. I think we all would. And I think that's what you're going to see is a lot of people who were sleeping at the wheel are going to wake up and go, wow, this really is true and it really is on. And God, you got my full-blown attention. On that note, if the worship team could come up, I just want to close with this thought. No matter what happens, guys, no matter what happens, whether the church is taken up before or in the middle or in the end, the main point is be right, be ready, be prayerful, be watchful. That's where you want to be. That's where I want to be. That's where we need to be. Jesus gave a bunch of parables about those who were prayerful and watchful and ready and those who believed. They believed that there was going to be a big wedding feast and they were all invited to it and they believed it. Everyone in the room believed there is a wedding feast and I'm invited to it. Every one of them. And then when he came at an hour where they did not expect, half of them were asleep with no oil in their lamps. And the others are like, got my attention. I'm wide awake. I'm ready to go. I got oil in my lamp. I am ready for this thing. Let's come on. Let's, let's do this thing. And the others are like, uh, uh, we, we were sleeping. What about us? And the ones who were sleeping did not get in on, listen, on the open door. Jesus said when they came to the wedding feast, hey, can you let us in? No, God opens doors, God closes doors. And I just want to tell you that when we talk about God opening and closing doors in your life, heaven is an open door that he places before you. The open door of heaven, the open door of eternity. And you can't picture a, you know, an angel on a cloud doing something. That's some crazy kind of idea. How many of you know people don't float on clouds? Right, people don't float on clouds. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart or mind has imagined what God has in store for those who love him. It's going to be beyond anything you imagine. We're, we're not even in the realm of time anymore when you step into the presence of God. We're not even limited to aging or, or sickness or anything. But you were, life is too short and eternity is too long to not take God serious on his word this way. And you were made on, to live on this life as a test and a trial and a temporary assignment. But we're, this isn't it. This is just the pre-show, guys. This isn't the main event. The main event is after. So how we live and who we affect for the glory of God and honor him is what it's all about. But eternity is a long, long, long time. And that's the main event. And God has an open door before you for for heaven. Um, I just want to close in that last scripture again, Proverbs 8.34. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my door and waiting at my doorway. I want to ask this morning, is that you? Is that you? Are you the kind of son or daughter of God where you listen to him, where you're watching at his door and where you're waiting at his doorway? Because if you are, you are blessed. You are in a rewardable category. God is going to open doors for you. If you're not, I want to encourage you, today is a time to say, you know what, God? Like this passage ends, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying, today I do. <laughs> today I have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. And I believe this is true and it's real. And I want to, I want to fully get in and embark on this journey of taken ownership of what you're putting before me. So I just want to close in prayer this morning, but I want to invite...
um, some of you this morning to take that step of commitment and faith to really jump into uh, the relationship fully with the Lordship of Jesus and all the open doors that go along with that, um, that we will never forget he has an open door, an open door to heaven for us, and that we will live like it, and we will love like it, and, and God, let us be those people. But God, we come before you this morning, and your word says, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, let them hear. And Lord, you got our attention loud and clear. You're the one who opens doors, you close them. Heaven's an open door through Jesus. And through Jesus, there's an awful lot of other open doors because you hold the keys to all these doors. But Lord, it's not just for the principle of believing in God, it's because you're the Lord of our lives and that's how the doors open, including the door of heaven. So Lord, this morning we just ask you with everybody's eyes closed, and head bowed, um, if you sense the Spirit of God tugging on your heart this morning, uh, that, that He's calling you into the deeper waters, He's calling you into a deeper relationship of trust with Him, uh, where you literally uh, just don't just like Him and appreciate Him, but you literally you want to surrender to His Lordship. I just want to agree with you in prayer this morning. Is that anybody this morning that I can agree with? Just raise your hand if that's you this morning. Amen. Anybody else this morning that wants to take that commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? We can wait on them. This is important, guys. This is like eternal stuff. This matters more than anything. Matters, what you're, matters more than what you're doing for lunch or what your plans are next month or next year. Anybody else this morning has said it's time for the, I mean, full-blown surrender to the Lordship. I'm getting off the throne, I'm putting you on it. I'm not, I'm not living for my own means. I'm living for you, God. There's a difference of believing in God and surrendering to the Lordship. Anybody else this morning? Amen. The Lord's pleased with you. The Lord's pleased with you. Let's uh, pray this in the privacy of your own heart. Just say, uh, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are uh, the Son of God who died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I just turn from my ways to follow you, uh, trusting you're putting your spirit in me to, to show me a whole nother realm of life and open doors. You're going to show me how to walk with you because your spirit will show me and lead me and guide me and comfort me. Uh, but God, I pray from this day forward, you would show me how to surrender to your lordship. And that's not a burden. That's actually a help. That is liberating when I surrender to your Lordship. I don't have to carry things alone anymore because I carry them with you. I don't work for you. I get to work with you. Uh, there's liberation and there's power in your name. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone who's just calling on you right now that you would bless them, even this week, with some profound open doors, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the Lord who opens doors and you hold the keys to everything. And Lord, for the rest of us in this room, Lord God, we're going to continue to ask and seek and knock. But I pray, Lord God, that you would open doors of opportunity for us too, uh, for, for reaching others for you and for loving others for you and pointing others to you and helping more people fall in love with you because you are so good. And Lord, thank you that no matter how these battles go in our lives, seems like some weeks we win the battle and some weeks maybe we lose it. But we know ultimately we are on the winning side. We are on the winning side. We read the end of the book and that's us. We're on the winning side because of what you've done. Thank you so much that you call us more than conquerors. You call us winners. Help us live like winners. Help us love like winners and help us honor you in our lives. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen, guys. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.